Good evening. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. Proverbs 27. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this evening. I was out this morning preaching in the place of Paul Hubbard, the pastor at Lakeview Baptist Church in East Montgomery, who had had a heart attack a couple of weeks ago. And so that congregation sends their greetings to all of us at Morningview. Sweet congregation, sweet fellowship. Tonight we will continue our thematic study through the wisdom book of all wisdom books. Right? We'll be looking again at the book of Proverbs and we'll take for our theme tonight the theme of friendship. We've likely all been blessed at some point in our lives, truly blessed by some lifelong good, deep friendships. Those are gifts from the Lord for which we should be grateful. We should express gratitude to, to God for such things and treasure such relationships. You can't go out and make old friends, right? It takes time, it takes effort, it takes investment. And the book of Proverbs is helpful for us not only as we want to grow in our ability to be faithful friends, but also as we try and use our discernment to avoid false friends. There are many in this life. As many of us know, there are those that would want to claim to be our friends, but who are actually just self-interested. We need to know how to avoid these kind of fake friends, how to avoid these friends that will lead us astray. And so we're going to read Proverbs 27, 5 through 17, which contains several Proverbs that we'll be looking at related to friendship, and we'll be looking at other places in Proverbs too. But I'll begin reading Proverbs 27, 5 through 17. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make a heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor or a friend who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he's put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts it up as security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. I'll touch that another night. To try and restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. And in verse 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. Let's pray. Holy Father, we need you to open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Father, our creator, our sustainer, our shepherd, we need you this night to speak to us. 
Be near to us. Build us up and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll begin tonight looking through Proverbs and seeing how a faithful friend is described. And we can see first that a good friend is indeed faithful. A good friend is faithful. Proverbs 17, 17 tells us that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A good friend is loving, is faithful at all times. To use a modern expression, good friends are not fair-weathered friends, right? They'll stick with you when the sun is not shining. They don't run away when the clouds come out. They stick by your side no matter how the how ugly the situation gets. They are constant in their companionship. And this is important because as we have mentioned and we'll see later, some friends seem wonderful and until the storm clouds come. But what's being described here is a friend who will always be there. It's willing and able to help in times of need. We see something similar in in chapter 27, verse 10, which says, Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. This proverb isn't saying that family is unfaithful or that family is unimportant, but it's emphasizing the need for us to cultivate deep relationships beyond our immediate family. Sometimes our family is either unwilling or unable to come to our aid in times of crisis, in times of emergency. A good friend, however, will be nearby and will be ready to rush in and help, faithful to drop what he's doing and to come be of aid. A good friend is faithful. Second, not only is a good friend faithful, he's also loyal. A good friend is loyal, which is similar to the previous point, but it deepens the relationship. Proverbs 18.24 says that a man of many companions will run to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Some friends stick closer than a brother, and this proverb is contrasting having a bunch of superficial friends or having one good friend that's closer than a brother. A faithful friend is faithful to be present, but emphasizing the friend's loyalty points out that he's always on your side. He's in your corner. He's ready to fight for you, to defend you. He's not going to abandon you. He won't sacrifice you or betray you when things get ugly. He'll stick by your side even when people start slinging mud of accusations and slander. He won't run, run away and be ashamed of you when you soil, your, soil yourself in sin again. He's not afraid to be associated with you. Have you had a friend like this? I hope you have. And doesn't this friend sound a lot like Jesus? Right? He was not afraid to be associated with outcasts. He was not afraid to be with the sinners. He was not afraid to be called a drunkard because he hung out with those that drink. He was not afraid to be with the unclean and the tax collectors. He was a good friend, even to those that deserve none. But lest we begin to think that a good friend is so loyal that he would blindly follow, we can also see from Proverbs That a good friend is willing to speak hard truth. A good friend is willing to speak 
hard truth. Proverbs 27, 6 that we just read. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Right? Contrary to what we might think at first, being wounded by someone is sometimes the thing we most need. We'd rather receive kisses. We'd rather receive soft, gentle, affirming language all the time. We want to be praised. We want to be encouraged. We want to be coddled all the time. That's what we want. But that kind of flattery is ultimately hatred. Only a good friend would speak hard truth to you. We need a true friend who loves us enough that he's willing to tell us when we're wrong, when we're off the mark, when we're self-deceived, when we're prideful, when we're mistaken. I remember one time when I was in seminary, I called back home to an old friend, and I was recounting how a lot of things were going really well at that moment. Right? Oh, I just had a new article accepted for publication. Oh, I just got nominated for this, and oh, I just got picked to be a, a graduate assistant, and all of this stuff, and he listened quietly, and then and after a little lull in the conversation, he very quickly said, well, it sounds like somebody's having a good time strutting around in their peacock feathers, right? He was in no way impressed with all that stuff that I was just talking about, and loved me enough to bring me down a peg or two. We joke that that's our role in each other's life. Right? He'll call me and talk about something great, and I'll say, well, your hairline's still receding. Right? I'll bring him down a, a peg or two. Good friends are good for that. He can cut through all of the stuff that he saw coming out of my mouth and show me that I'm really concerned with my own vanity, my own pride. His wound was faithful, and I appreciate having friends that can do that. I hope you have friends that can do that as well, that love you enough to speak necessary truth, rather than just puffing you up with flattery, right? That's the alternative. Man, you are great. You're so great, aren't you? That's what the enemy does. That's what an enemy does. He puffs us up with flattery. See, flattery means saying something to their face that you'd never say behind their back, right? It's kind of the opposite of gossip. Oh, you look so great. And then when they walk away, mm-mm, that's flattery. You see these kind of flatterers floating around anyone with influence or power, right? Whoever the president is at the time always is surrounded by these kinds of people, right? They're always praising him, puffing him up, buttering him up, praising, oh, your legislation is so great. Oh, your political acumen is wonderful. You're so effective. You're such a great leader. They're only there so that they can get nominated to some post, so that they can get put in charge of some position, right? And when it becomes beneficial for them, they'll gladly drop the president and move on to whoever the next president is. Oh, you're so great. That's what flatterers do. They give all these kisses, but those kisses turn out to be arrows and knives. They're hatred. And flattery exists in the church, too. Some people want to flutter around people in the church that have influence right people with money people with power people with whatever my you look so great today oh that was such a great message i'm so blessed by that or oh you're so good at this you're such a good cook whatever it is they may be genuine or 
it may be kisses, kisses of an enemy, of flattery. That's what makes this particular kind of lying, flattery, so insidious because in the moment it looks like godly encouragement. It's deadly. It's also idolatry, right? I am puffing you up in the hopes that you will reciprocate and you will bless me. Right? I'm praising you in hopes that you will turn around and praise me. I want to tell you how beautiful you are today so that you will look at me. Oh, you're such a great teacher. Oh, you're such a great parent. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. Right? Have you ever caught yourself doing that? Praising someone's appearance or their work or whatever it is so that you seem to be like the great person, right? You want to be perceived as a great encourager, so you're really piling on all this extra stuff. Right? You can see this in little children. Right? If you go down to the nursery, maybe you'll see a little girl that has a new dress on. And she's, she's slick now. She won't walk in and say, look at my new dress. She'll walk in and she'll say, my, you're looking so lovely today. And then show you her new dress and pause so that you can reciprocate, right? That's flattery. She's fishing for something right there. She's casting the bait so that you will be lured in to look at her. Flattery is vanity and it's sin. And it's not what a good friend does. Do you find yourself tempted to speak this way? Tempted to praise others so that they would reciprocate and praise you? Tempted to elevate others just so that they will turn around and elevate you? When we begin to look at it, we'll begin to see it's a lot more common and a lot more blatant than we first thought. Flattery can even be socially accepted. Sometimes it's expected. Right? It's not merely unseemly, though. It's not merely distasteful when it's exposed. It is sin. It's a violation of a holy God who speaks nothing but truth. Not a lie like flattery. There's not a single word that came out of God's mouth that was anything less than absolute truth. His word is spoken of in the Bible as being precious metal refined seven times. It means it's absolute purity. Free from any dross, any imperfection. And when he sent his own son, right? What did he send? He sent his very own word. The word of God, John calls it. And Jesus says of himself, I am the way and the truth. No flattery in him. Nothing impure, nothing distasteful. He never buttered up his superiors with flattery. Right? He sure could have. Standing before Pilate. My Pilate, that toga looks great today. Have you lost weight? Right? No, he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. He never spoke words in a self-serving way. He wasn't guilty of saying empty words so that others might know how encouraging he is. Right? He was not an enemy. Profuse in his kisses. In fact, his wounds are always faithful because he is a good friend. For those of us that have come to faith in Christ, Christ will wound us by his conviction, right? He will send his Holy Spirit 
And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to show us our sins. Right? Which feels painful at first. But is really the wound of a faithful friend. Right? It would be unloving for him to butter us up and say, you're doing great. Continuing down the path of sin. No, God loves us when he shows us our sin. When God shows us our blind spots and open our eyes to our weaknesses, he is loving us in a profound way. He's not a disguised enemy who tries to get in close and then stab us in the back, right? He's a surgeon. He's cutting away the infection so that we can come to him for healing. He's a good friend who is not afraid to speak hard truths rather than an enemy that is profuse in his kisses. Fourth, not only is a good friend faithful and loyal and willing to speak hard truth, but Proverbs says that a good friend will gladden the heart. A good friend will gladden the heart. He'll lift your heart. He'll lift your spirits. Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. In a time in the ancient Near East when bathing was not nearly as convenient as it is today the use of scented lotions and oils was a welcome luxury right likewise when when they would greet a friend with oil that was a sign of respect and hospitality think of psalm 23 that we just read right he anoints my head with oil my cup overflows such actions make one's heart glad right it warms the soul and it makes one cherish the bond that we have with friends. And the second half of the verse is a little bit debated, but I think that the best way to interpret it is just building off of the first part. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Right? Just like oil and perfume make life a little bit sweeter. Likewise, a friend who gives us wise counsel makes life a little bit sweeter. Our friendships are divinely ordained blessings and can be the occasion of gladness of heart. Have you ever been down in the dumps only to talk to your friend and walk away with a glad heart? Right? Strangers can't easily do that, but good friends can. That's the blessing of having a good friend. Some people can make your heart sing, can help you see the complexities of life because of their words of wisdom, can give you hope, though all around you seems hopeless. Right? They can cheer you up even though you're down. Which presses us a little bit. Right? Am I the kind of friend that gladdens hearts? Am I the kind of friend that lifts people up? When people finish their conversation with me, are they, do they have more joy and more peace than when they walked up to me? Or am I critical? Am I harsh? Am I demeaning or hopeless and pessimistic? It's worth thinking about. It's worth asking ourselves, do I make hearts glad or do I rob people of their gladness? Some people can suck the life out of the room. You know who those kind of people are. I don't want to be anything like that. I want to bring gladness where I go. 
Not only is a good friend faithful, loyal, willing to speak hard truth, and able to gladden the heart, a good friend knows when to speak. Proverbs says that a good friend knows when to speak. We read 2714, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Right? This neighbor thinks he's going to be a blessing. Right? He has the best of intentions. He starts showing up and he's banging on the door of the house. He's got, I've got a blessing for you. Wake up, wake up. I've got a blessing for you. Right? The other guy rolls out of bed and wants to punch him in the face. If you have small children, you have probably experienced something similar. I have been woken up before dawn with a child right here. Good morning! I did not receive that as a blessing in that moment. That was a curse in the moment. Right? A good friend will not do that. In fact, Proverbs says in 25.11, what proper timing is like. Right? It says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold set in pure silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold set in pure silver. That means well-chosen words spoken at the right time are like beautiful objects of the finest craftsmanship and value. Right? They're like rare jewels. A wise friend will be able to speak the right word but he'll be able to speak it at the right time to be of maximal blessing and value to the person that's hearing. As opposed to the foolish friend that speaks perhaps even the right word, but at a wrong time. And the result, even though well-intentioned, is cursing rather than blessing. Are you the kind of friend that gives forethought to what he's going to say and carefully weighs not merely what you're going to say, but when and how you're going to say it. Right? You may have the right truth, but without the love, it's going to be a banging gong. It's going to be a clashing cymbal. Love thinks about how to say, what to say, and when to say it. Right? When you have an idea, you have a thought, something pops into your brain, do you just toss it out? Do you just call up your buddy right then, regardless of what he may be doing? Interrupting him? kind friend weighs his words and he considers when and how might be the best time to talk to his friend. So far we've seen that a wise friend is faithful, he's loyal, he's willing to speak hard truth, he gladdens the heart and he knows when to speak. But Proverbs doesn't just give us positive examples of friends, it also gives us negative examples to avoid. For example, if you flip back a few pages to Proverbs 19, we'll see that some friends are friends in name only. Some friends are only friends in name. They're friends in name only. Proverbs 19, verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And skip down to verse 6. Many seek the favor of a generous man, man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him, 
How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but he does not have them. Here is Solomon simply observing that when one encounters material prosperity, right? When God pours out material blessing to us, wealth to us, many new friends will show up. And the converse is true. When one encounters physical or financial ruin, those friends scatter, right? There are many false friends who come around when it benefits them. And when those benefits dry up, so do their interest in the friendship. They are not true friends that are born for adversity, as we read earlier. But their name, they're, they're friends in name only. They're born for prosperity, as it were. A big crowd of these nominal friends might give us the false impression that we are really loved. But it's all a facade. It's all a charade. When the wine stops flowing, when the accolades die down, when the cash has run out, we're left with even less than we had at the beginning. Because at the beginning, you were poor. But at the end, you're both poor and deserted and heartbroken. It reminds me of the prodigal son, right? He had all sorts of friends while he's spending his inheritance. But when his money dried up, where did he end up? Did he end up at his friend's house, right, crashing on the couch? Did he end up in his buddy's bed or at the table of one of his friends? No, he ended up alone. Well, he went alone. He's surrounded by pigs, right, in the pig pen, eating pig slop. We must be wary. We must watch out for people that seem to be only interested in us when it benefits them, when it suits them, right? Young ones especially. We have to take note of the kind of friends that we keep. Are these friends, do they want to be with us because it benefits them, right? Are they friends out of virtuous motives? And we all can be tempted to befriend somebody out of selfish motives, right? This guy is a mover and a shaker. I want, I want him to remember my name because when he's at the top, I want to make that call, right? I'm going to invest in this friendship because of what it's going to potentially open doors for me later on. That happens in the church. That happens in politics. That happens in academia. It happens all over the place. Maybe we see someone in the church that's very generous, and we want to cling close to that generous person so that we can catch a little bit of the overflow. Proverbs warns us about some friends that are only friendly while the benefits flow, and we must be on guard of that. Similarly, and finally, Proverbs warns us that there are some friends that will lead us astray. There are some people that would call themselves friends who will lead us astray. We read it earlier, but Proverbs 18.24 says that a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. And this proverb is contrasting the superficial friend, companion, with the true friend. Right? We can be surrounded by superficial, self-centered companions and come to ruin. Right? Proverb also says that there's safety in being surrounded in many counselors. 
And there's conversely danger in being surrounded with many false friends. When we surround ourselves with friends motivated by vanity and self-interest, then we don't have to be shocked when they begin to act in their own self-interest, even to our great detriment, right? So what does this look like? If someone is willing to say they're your friend and gossip to you, then you can take it to the bank that they will gossip about you. If you have a friend that's willing to give you the juicy gossip, you can know that they will then gossip about you. That's not a good friend. Not a good friend. Or if we surround ourselves with fools, we can know that we're setting ourselves up for failure. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says it twice, actually. He says 1 Corinthians 5, 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Doesn't matter what your intentions are. Doesn't matter how good your, your biblical worldview is. If you surround yourself with fools, you will be corrupted. Right? I had a football coach in seventh grade. And he said, in a very southern accent, if you lay with dogs, you're going to get fleas heard that in seventh grade right if you lay with dogs you're gonna get fleas I thought he was the most hillbilly thing in the world and looking back I was the fool for not listening it was a very profound statement if I could plead with myself 20 years ago that would probably be one of the top pieces of advice listen to this bad company corrupts good morals. Choose your friends wisely because you will become like them. Right? Are your friends the kind of people that you want to be like? Are the people pouring into your life, whispering into your ears, are they giving you the kind of godly wisdom and advice that you want to be like? It will happen. Choose your friends wisely because you will become like them. If I had listened to this, I would have saved myself a lot of grief and heartache. And I bet your parents would say the exact same thing. Ask them on the way home, in the car ride home. The influence of your companions is true both negatively and positively. If you surround yourself with vain people, they will push you down the road of vanity. If you surround yourself with people that drink too much, you will end up drunk. If you surround yourself with bitter, envious people, then you will have a covetous, jealous heart. But if you surround yourself with friends that encourage you with godly wisdom, you'll see that you begin to grow in wisdom. If you surround yourself with people that are pursuing righteousness and love Jesus with all their heart, then you will begin to grow in wisdom and righteousness. See, our friends will either drag us further from Christ or they will point us to Christ. What kind of friend are you? What kind of friend am I? Am I the kind of friend that is pushing people, leading, pointing people towards Jesus? Or am I weighing them down, slowing them down, dragging them down? 
as I conclude tonight, I want to point to us again, point out again how Jesus really is our greatest possible friend. He is a good friend. Jesus is like the wise friend who is faithful even in the hard times. Right? Proverbs 46 tells us that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Right? He is ever-present with us. Even when we're at our lowest, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil, as we read earlier, because God is with us. Even when we've sinned again, we have dirtied ourselves up, we've run back like a dog to its own vomit, as Proverbs says. God is with us. He's beside us. He's our friend. Not only is he faithful, he's also loyal to us. He will never depart us. He's our advocate. He's on our side. He's in our corner. He tells us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He's not a fair-weathered friend. In fact, he has promised to be our great high priest forever. He's there mediating, bringing us back to God forever. He's our advocate, our permanent companion, our ever-present help. Jesus is also a faithful friend that's unafraid to speak hard truth. Jesus never flatters us. He never butters us up. He never tells us one thing while meaning something else. He he speaks the truth in love every time. He's the faithful friend who only wounds when necessary. And he does it with absolute gentleness and love. He doesn't snuff out a smoldering wick. He will not break a bruised reed, the Bible says, which means he's not harsh. He's never overbearing. He never speaks out of both sides of his mouth and never wounds unnecessarily. He speaks to us through his word and his spirit, and Christ is our faithful friend, the faithful friend we all need. And unlike the false friends that may try and surround us, Christ never comes to us under false pretenses. In fact, so far from being false is that he called himself the truth in John 14, 6. He's the sum of all truth. He's the culmination of all truthfulness. He's the apex of all reliability. There's never been a friend more faithful and more true than Jesus. And unlike all those false friends we meet in this life, he will never lead us astray. In fact, not only can he not lead us Astray, Jesus says that he is our way. So that being with him and growing in him and walking with him is the path itself. He is the path of righteousness. He is the narrow road. He is the walkway of wisdom. He can't not lead us to truth and righteousness. It's impossible. He cannot lead us astray. There's never been a friend as faithful and as true as him. There's never been a companion as righteous and as loving as him. There's never been a buddy more valuable to have. So I ask, do you have Christ as your friend? And if you do, cherish that friendship and model your companionship, your friendliness after his. Seek to be the faithful friend like he is. And do that not merely for the people that it's easy to be friends with. Oop, here comes the dagger. 
it's easy to be friends with people that have all the same background and, and interests that we do. The real test of how good of a friend we are is how we befriend those that are harder to love. Do you love the person in the church that really gets under your skin? There's somebody in this church that really annoys you. Are you a good friend to them? Or maybe, are you a good friend to the people that have nothing to offer you? In fact, that friendship's going to be costly. Are you a good friend to those people? Or to the people that are awkward, right? They always say something, you're like, are you a good friend to that kind of person? The person that's rough around the edges, the friendship that's going to take time, that's going to take money, that's going to feel like it's draining you of your strength. Because Jesus loves those people. That's the test of what kind of friend we are. And if we have Jesus as our friend, and we're pursuing him with love and faithfulness, then we will grow in our ability to be faithful friends, to love others, to love our neighbor as ourselves, which means being a good friend to them. Press in, press on in that endeavor and strive to be faithful companions and thereby point back to the faithfulness of our good friend Jesus. But if you do not have Christ as your friend, then I have to warn you that you have him as your enemy. And he will be a fierce enemy. He offers this very night the ability to be reconciled to God through his own faithful work on the cross. He went to the cross for his friends and he died for the sins of his friends. And if you repent and believe this very night, you can have him as your savior and as your friend. But if we choose to remain in our disbelief, remain in our sins, then he will come to you, but it will not be as a friend. He will come as the judge of the living and the dead, and he will separate his friends from his enemies, and he will cast his enemies into a place of eternal punishment. Let not your fate be eternal pain and destruction. Rather, choose him this very night, for you can have no better friend and no sweeter companion. Let's pray. Holy Father, we praise you and thank you that your son loves so lavishly, that he's willing to forgive selfish sinners, hateful, unloving sinners like us. Father, grant us your grace that we might grow in our ability to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be faithful friends, to be sacrificial, to speak truth when we need to speak it, to be loving and always encouraging back to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to grow in this area. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to close tonight by singing hymn 154.